When I first got into recovery, I uh, was not told that there was going to be loneliness. I really thought that, you know, here I had this, I had this experience where I was getting my life back. I was getting my hope back, my freedom back. Uh, the idea of success and future began to, to start to become apparent to me, an idea of the future that wasn't wrapped up in drugs. And my friends wanted nothing to do with me. And what's, what's crazy about that is that, that obviously points to the fact that they weren't really my friends, they were my, my drug using buddies, and that was true. But you would think that even they would want the best for you, and they didn't. And we noticed that when kids leave our facility, we have to have a very clear conversation about the loneliness of being in recovery. You have a language that your friends don't speak because you've been in a program. You have some new friends who actually are in for your long-term success. Um, there's loneliness in recovery, and loneliness is also a condition of using, of mental health issues. It's isolation, it's, it's not feeling like you have, we also call it terminally unique. You, as my guests, uh, as my listeners, you've heard me and uh, previous guests talk about terminal uniqueness. It's loneliness. My guest today is Dr. Cardwell Knuckles, and welcome to Beyond Risk and Back. This is the 33rd CCSAD conference. This one is the virtual 2020 conference. So my thanks to CCSAD and C4 Events. Thank you, parents, for joining me on this episode. I'm your host, Aaron Huey. And as I said, my guest, Dr. Knuckles, we're going to be talking about loneliness. Doctor, thank you so much for being on the show. Glad to have you. Welcome. Hey, thank you so much, Aaron, and thank you for all you do to help others. It's appreciated. I appreciate it. So let's let's jump right in. How did you end up in the world of recovery uh, and, and with a PhD, no less? <laughs> Actually, I have two of them. Oh, geez. I, I, yeah, I got into recovery uh, at a pretty early age. I've been in recovery 45 years. Oh, my gosh. Okay. And uh, it... Uh, you know, being an abused child and, uh, you know, having a crazy home and all of these things, I think, uh, led me to believe that I wasn't good enough. Sure. You know, that I, and uh, when you when you when you play that battle, trying to be good enough, you, you tend to be self-critical and perfectionistic. And right. all of these things during life left me uh, pretty much alone or I never felt like I fit in. You know, I, I never felt like I was as happy as other people. And so loneliness was just a part of my story. And it was something that the spiritual aspects of Alcoholics Anonymous, my own spiritual work over the last 30 years, uh, have really uh, allowed me to kind of address the loneliness, to feel always connected, always a part of what's going on. So uh, this is what I, where I am at it. The other thing was, you know, loneliness is a big deal today, but nobody seems to be, you know, dealing with. It. It's, uh, it's very, very little I hear about uh, treatment or understanding loneliness. It, it, it's, it seems like this social media phenomenon that, that's taken place in the past 15 years, you know, that, that there's, there's, you have this evidence that you're actually not lonely because you have 5,000 friends on Facebook. But the isolation, like, like what is, what creates loneliness? Are we talking about a mental condition, a physical condition, a spiritual condition, a condition, all of the above? What is your take on what is loneliness? 
Well, I think it's all of the above. Uh, you know, it, from the perspective that loneliness affects everyone around you, it affects you. I mean, when you start to look at, at loneliness, uh, for example, we can correlate loneliness with poor attachment. So if you have a family that has poor attachment, in other words, insecure attachment, uh, those individuals, those children are going to grow up to be more lonely than those who had uh, pretty secure parents. Uh, so, you know, we see we see it all over the place. It's, uh, it's an existential loneliness that I think addicts go through. That point in time where, you know, no one's going to bail you out. You know, if you don't, if you don't handle it, it's up to you, right. uh, which is, which I think is energizing to some degree. If you can accept that, it uh, puts you in the right direction, I think. So now loneliness and recovery, is it a, is it a relapse danger? Well, certainly it is. Uh, I think that, that from many perspectives, uh, if you look at, at human beings, uh, we're troop animals. I mean, we, we it, in our genes, if we're not around a troop, if we don't have relationships, it's akin to death. Yeah. Because back when there were hunter-gatherers, if you were excluded from the community, you were gone. I mean, and so I think that what happens genetically is we have this this need for, you know, for others, but the big need is for a significant other, to have that one person in your life that you can confide, confide with. And when you don't have that, um, you exist in a state of loneliness. And, uh, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, as we, we start to look at this and just look at what uh, the coronavirus has done. Oh. In 2018, uh, in the United States, the degree of loneliness was about 3.9%. Two years later, in 2020, 13.6%, almost four times, you know, because of the isolation caused by the virus itself. And that's very upsetting, you know, in families. It creates for a lot of discord. Uh, you know, when we talk about loneliness and someone in recovery where we, we want them to reach out, to be involved, but, but the laws and everything else are pushing us back home, you know. Right. So I think it is a really interesting time for families and people in recovery. You know, there's a, there's a there's a couple things that that strike me about this. We've always we've always talked to the kids uh, and to the parents that the the idea of not having a tribe, a clan, uh, a, a group, that unique set of friends it, it is akin to being uh, a Neanderthal in in the cave. Like like if you don't have someone who watches your back while you eat, go to the bathroom, and sleep, the saber tooth donkey gets you. You know you're 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 done. You don't have some someone watching your back. And what I, I was just looking this morning at some Colorado statistics, uh, meth and fentanyl overdoses has shot up in 2020 by 282% during the first five months of COVID. These things are linked. This, this loneliness is a, my entire drug use is built on loneliness feeling unwanted, feeling unloved, feeling uncared for by a biological father and then uh, at school uh, being bullied and stuff like that. Like this is a loneliness is a catalyst for this type of stuff. It feels that way. We talk about it in the industry that is that way. Does the evidence also support this? That, that, that loneliness is the key is a or the key for use. 
Well, I don't know that the evidence support loneliness. Uh, you know, there's not that we're only seeing now research on loneliness. It's been there for a long while, but we're really starting to see more of it, you know, because of the current trends. Yeah. But uh, I really think that, you know, when you look at loneliness for, for some people, I think it probably is a fulcrum. You know, it probably does tip the balance in many ways. Uh, you know, we're troop animals. The thing about alcohol and drugs, at least, uh, I say from my perspective and many that I've talked to over the years, is that, that uh, drugs and alcohol really is an attempt to attach. Huh. You know, it's an attempt you know, to reduce the loneliness, to, to feel okay about yourself, you know, it, and I, I think that uh, what we discover at, uh, over time, especially as we get into recovery, is that alcohol and drugs were the right direction, but the wrong method. And then we find a spiritual program, like a 12-step program, for example, and then we have the right direction, you know, and the right method. And that's a workable uh, situation. But uh, I think that, uh, uh, you know, people who are socially anxious, you know, have extreme problems um, with loneliness. Uh, just because it's so difficult, you know, uh, uh, for someone who's socially anxious to be around people. Doc, hang on just a second. I'm going to uh, take a quick break and give a shout out to our silver sponsors. We're going to be right back with you to talk about this attempt to attach uh, and how the brain mixes up the toxic version and the uh, the, the nurturing version. So hang on just a second. All right. So... CCSAD, which is put on by C4 Events. So this is the 33rd time that CCSAD, the, the Cape Cod Symposium, uh, that, that C4 Events has put on this event. Now, with all these challenges here in 2020, <laughs> not just just 2020 is nuts if you're listening to this in the future 2020 was nuts and i hope we didn't forget about how nuts what it was but thanks to people who have believed in c4's events especially this ccsad event have shown up with time with money and with energy to keep this event going and to help C4 events get the 2020 CCSAD conference out of the hotel and on the line so we can all continue our education. So I want to thank our silver sponsors, Alina Lodge, Gosnold, Heal Behavioral Health, Origins Behavioral Health Care, Recovery Centers of America, Southworth Associates, the District Recovery Community, and Timberline Knowles. Thank you to you silver sponsors for putting up the time, the energy and the moolah so that we can keep this incredible tradition of sharing the information and education with each other. All right, let's get back to our guest. All right, doc, let's talk about, I love the term that you use the attempt to attach when we talk to kids in our facility about smoking. Because they have been growing up in a school system that has posters on the wall since they're in kindergarten that say, don't smoke, don't do it. It's bad for your teeth. It's bad for your health. You're going to die from cancer, on and on and on. And when we ask these junior high and high school kids in our facility, why did you start? The first thing it says to hang out with my friends. Like, like the, the, the brain literally justifies and rationalizes a deadly behavior because at least we're not alone. 
how is it that we're willing to put our life in jeopardy to keep our life from feeling in jeopardy? Well, when you consider the fact that relationships equal survival, more from a hereditary genetic perspective, because uh, as we mentioned, where we come from, uh, having a group, a troop, you know, was uh, equated with survival. And I mentioned also the need for that significant other. So, you know, if you, if you, you start to look at this, this in our brain, uh, this is equated as survival. So if we go into uh, isolation, loneliness, basically our brain goes into survival mode. And it will actually cause you, it'll kick out cortisol and other chemicals. It will actually cause you to get up and move and go see somebody. I mean, it literally creates it and deals with it as a survival perspective. So once again, we're, we're, uh, we're, we're talking about that. So, so, so if family you know, because I'm, I'm writing them down, the group, the troop, the clan, the tribe. They're, it's family. It's a version of family. And now we've got uh, people who break away from the family and find an external group, troop, clan, or tribe. Um, is it just about the value system? Do they feel like they can't survive the, the primary or the original family system? Is it is it that you don't feel you belong? Why do we seek outside of a primary uh, or or an original system for this survival thing? Then, well, if you can't find it in your system, um, then really, uh, let's just start this way. I, I think if you look at the key to all of this, it, it's really uh, being around secure attachments. So let's just look at, at attachment. Atta- attachment okay, occurs good. about six months to two years or so into a baby's life. And this is b- basically the relationship with parents, especially mom. And what we see from that is either secure attachment, which about 65% of, of people are, and the rest are different types of, of insecure attachment. And the insecure attachments have all sorts of relationship problems attached to them. And so when we start to look at this, these, uh, these connections you made with the primary caregiver early in life yeah. are going to play out all through your life on an unconscious basis. So here I am in early recovery. I come from a home where, uh, you know, there was a lot of problems. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm coming into treatment. What I need to do or what needs to happen to me is I need a clinician who has a secure attachment. I need some sponsors. I need some people around me who have secure attachment because that's the only way I know of taking someone with an insecure attachment and moving them up into security, you know, by being around others who, who, who are there. And that whole mechanism is not totally understood, but uh, that's what we do with people in treat. We try to get them around secure attachments because that's the way they're going to start to uh, grow their own, uh, you know, attachment and hopefully become more secure and hopefully be able to pick better people in their life to have relationships with because they're going to go out in recovery and fall in love with the sickest person at that (laughs) NA meeting they can find. (laughs) And, uh, you know, (laughs) I do know. 
I sponsored a guy who loved borderline personality disordered people, and he went one after another. I'd always get a phone call right after. You know, I did it again. Uh, so it's uh, it's tough. It really is. Uh, and but I think that uh, you know we have to have around us people who exhibit those traits of, of secure attachment. You know, they got a good sense of self. You know, they have good sense of boundaries. They kind of know who they are. You know, these sort of people can be very, very helpful in uh, facilitating neuroplasticity. We push that hard. Dr. Knuckles, where, where are you currently working and how are people going to find you and follow up with you? Well, you know, I tell you, I'm, uh, I'm in my 70s now, so I've, uh, I, I'm not traveling as much. And this COVID thing certainly sure. uh, uh, kind of accentuates that. Uh, I'm always available. I, my, I, I, I work a, a spiritual, highly spiritual program, and, and I'll commit that anybody who emails me at cnuckles, C-N-U-C-K-O-L-S, 1949, at gmail.com. I will answer your question to the best of my ability and, and get it back to you. Um, I uh, certainly appreciate the opportunity to uh, uh, spend a little time with you today, and I appreciate Aaron and his work very much. Oh, th- thank you very much. And and let's, uh, again, the email is cnuckles1949 at gmail.com, and knuckles is spend N-U-C-K-O-L-S. Did I get that right? Right, N-U-C-K-O-L-S. All right. Perfect. Hey, doctor, thank you so much. This was very intriguing. I'd like to get you back at a later date for a long show. I think there's a lot more to explore with this, and I think a lot of people are going to get some support. There certainly is. Perfect. Thanks. Stay on the line for a quick second as I take us out. All righty. All right. Hang tight. So there we are with just what, I mean, what a, what a quick, what a, what a quick moment to, to take a look at, um, what's going on in recovery, what's going on in addiction, what's going on in mental health, what's going on with the family, what's going on. And, and I, as I was looking at, at some of the topics you'd like to t- talk about, you know, as we do a longer show, um, you know, this can be a financial experience, a mental f- experience, an emotional experience, a spiritual experience, uh, uh, a physical experience. Like this loneliness thing is, a, it really perturbates and, affects it penetrates all aspects of our life not just our recovery so let's take a deeper look into this at a later date so my thanks to dr uh, cardwell knuckles uh, you can reach him at c knuckles 1949 at gmail.com and that's n-u-c-k-o-l-s my thanks to Deepin Productions for producing this podcast and creating the music. And my thanks to Your Cause Consulting, a marketing firm that helps me find that purpose behind the brand. Uh, I would also like to thank you listeners for making Beyond Risk and Back a number one podcast. And please give a listen, a like, a subscribe, and a share. And most importantly, a review on iTunes as that helps us help parents help their kids. Uh, That's what we're looking for is to help as many people as possible. My thanks to our silver sponsors that I mentioned in the middle of today's show and a big special thanks to C4 Events and the 33rd CCSAD Virtual 2020 Conference having me on board with their team to interview all these amazing speakers. Parents, take care of yourselves first, your adult relationships second, and your children third because in that way, You're going to do your best work 
with your children. Don't be lonely. Get a support team. I'll see you next week.